Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, Head of Editorial Operations here at SHRM. Thank you so much for joining us. All Things Work is an audio adventure where we talk with thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. So we are continuing our coverage of how the world is responding to the coronavirus pandemic. And today we're turning our attention to the role of IT departments in the workplace. Um, as everyone knows, stay-at-home orders have brought so many businesses that rely on in-person interactions to a grinding halt. And we can only imagine how much worse the shutdown would be if it wasn't for IT and the IT staffs responsible for keeping those systems running. You know, whether it's remote work or online commerce to government and banking services, uh, you know, IT truly has kept us from tumbling into an economic dark age. Joining me today to talk about IT's role during the pandemic is Steve Bates from KPMG, a global financial audit, tax, and advisory firm with over 200,000 employees worldwide. Steve heads KPMG's CIO Chief Center of Excellence. And in this role, he leads KPMG's go-to-market efforts in technology business management. He spent his career advising chief information officers and other technology executives on the benefits of simplifying the relationship between leadership roles and the value they deliver to customers, focusing on the intersection of business, finance, and technology. Steve, at a moment in time when the virus has got us physically disconnected, it's IT that's serving as the glue between us to keep work working and we're excited to hear from you on how organizations can successfully do that from an IT perspective. So welcome to All Things Work. Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah, that's great. So why don't we start with, if you don't mind, can you share how is KPMG dealing with the pandemic? Well, as you mentioned, we have several hundred thousand uh, employees around our global network, and uh, it is an amazing process to shift a business this large in a matter of weeks to both remote working, interacting with our clients in very new ways, and standing up technologies uh, that can be integrated at scale across hundreds of countries around the world. So it has been something that I think we would we would say, like many companies, has been remarkable, something we would have originally thought wasn't possible at the speed that we moved. But uh, at this point, we are, we are functioning and being productive and, and serving the, the capital markets and our clients as we, uh, as we traditionally always have. That's, that's terrific. Do you have a sense before the pandemic, roughly what percentage of KPMG's workforce was remote versus what percent it is now? It's a great question. I mean, as a professional services firm, we spend a lot of time working remotely, be it in our advisory business, tax business, or even in our audit business, where we're balancing working at the client site or, or remotely or traveling. So we have a highly mobile workforce. Uh, so we had a lot of the tools for mobility built in uh, to our operating model. But to shift all of our operations, including our non-client facing team members to truly remote, that again, that was a, a very heavy lift. And, and to be able to do that with the constraints that, uh, you know, most companies are experiencing around residential bandwidth or having applications that again, uh, which were originally, you know, on-prem or now up in the cloud. This was a big shift and, uh, you know, it's a significant portion of our population had to suddenly shift to totally remote and still maintain our business. And your internal IT team was was ready with all the resources those folks needed or were you like most companies where there was some real scrambling going on? 
Yeah, I, I think that we have, because of the nature of our business, uh, you know, we have a pretty robust business continuity plan around the world, and we activated that very quickly to stay ahead of that. But for sure, there were there were challenges within the first weeks as we tried to deploy physical assets again for members of our team that didn't have. You know, laptops and and weren't mobile employees. Yeah, that was a that was a scramble to get them stood up and to make sure that we had enough VPN access and that we had enough bandwidth across our network to be able to support it and get access to critical data. So, like most companies, you know, we had to not only execute our business continuity plan, but we had to also shift at scale thousands of workers. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I I, I can tell you at Sherm, you know, monitors were getting shipped and docking stations were getting shipped, and uh, I'm sure that's how it was for most companies. So let's let's pivot a little bit. IT in general, do you think that, that IT was up for this test at most companies across the country? I mean, were they just waiting for this opportunity to flex their muscles or were many caught flat-footed? I think a, a lot of organizations had out-of-date business continuity plans. And certainly, I don't think most plans anticipated the entire ecosystem the company, suppliers, their partners, all of them suffering a simultaneous, you know, interruption and failure. So I think for most organizations, all functions were caught in a very unfamiliar area. I think the hero's work that I think most IT organizations did within the first week to react to this was something that most organizations would have thought was just simply not possible. And and I think you phrased it well, you know, without IT doing the job, most organizations would be in a technology dark age right now. So it is, it is truly amazing what's happened. But there were, you know, critical cases where the, not just the business continuity plan not being up to date, but just simple things. You, you'd mentioned it um, around having, you know, a full stock of hardware and peripherals to deploy, be able to come up with protocols for security and access to systems for people that had never needed it remotely before. Uh, to be able to come up with scaling up cloud solutions to get access to, to critical resources. So this was this was something that was highly unprecedented. But again, I think the, the, the response for most organizations IT has been phenomenal. Yeah. So is it safe to assume that, you know, larger companies are, are far better equipped for something like this than smaller ones? And, and I guess, did you notice how smaller companies have responded here? Is there just a C-level difference between big and small companies and how their IT departments can respond to, to a pandemic? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would term it less in, in terms of size and more in complexity. Uh, large, complex organizations I think definitely it struggled more than others because you're trying to integrate a front, middle, and back office architecture and services and products that in, in many cases were siloed. And, and they, they really had to think through their entire business model as it was disrupted. So complexity across the application stack, across infrastructure, across suppliers and operations, that, that is probably the, the most difficult part. There are small organizations who are also very complex. I think the other part is depending on what industry or sector you're in, the cost and, and capital that is needed to over the first phases of this, this crisis where it was really a challenge to be able to get capital freed up. And in many cases, uh, small organizations didn't have just ready hand capital to go and, 
and, and provision new IT services at scale, where larger organizations often have the ability to pull different levers to get that. So I think that was an advantage that, you know, maybe some of the large companies had over, over small ones. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because a corollary is we actually heard from from smaller companies that said they they had the capital they couldn't find the equipment it just wasn't available uh, especially in in certain regions where you know there's not a, a Best Buy on every corner so how do IT departments respond when they the resources they need just aren't there Yeah, I, I think that they really leaned on a lot of the partner partner ecosystem. If you move beyond just the hardware portions of this, I think when you start looking at the massive increase in call center uh, activities as a result, if you just think of, of that, uh, how many uh, employees and customers are hitting a contact center with questions and, and needs to stay productive. IT organizations just weren't ready to provide that level of service in the early days of this. So they leaned on their partner ecosystems and they were, they were often buying services from non-traditional providers. KPMG was a great example of that where we were engaged by many clients to augment and scale up their workforce for areas where they just could not meet the demand. So I think that was a, a key element. And then the yeah, guy getting creative on some of your sourcing of hardware, particularly around PCs, was a big deal. And I think that CIOs took a step back and looked at their refresh cycles, looked at equipment that they had as maybe critical standbys or that were due for retirement and chose not to retire those things just to get over the, the initial reaction pump and try to move towards recovery. To your point about, uh, you know, server capacity and, and related issues, I mean, were you seeing companies kind of making some hard decisions about what IT they maintained and what they, you know, stopped relying on so that they had greater bandwidth to do other things? Yeah, I think that prioritization is an absolutely essential um, skill set for a CIO these days. And, and you have to make the hard choices of what are truly business critical versus the merely important uh, inside the organization. And CIOs are, are being hit from every conceivable angle for requests for support and, and for services. And yeah, they have to make those, those hard decisions on either adjusting service levels potentially, you know, suspending projects or programs that have been in flight. But in most cases, we see the best practice in this is you need a very structured framework, you know, to determine the criticality, the impact, the sequence and, and deploying resources. It's, it's an essential part of the CIO's toolkit uh, during this time. So given the shift and kind of looking at it from the HR perspective, you know, remote work puts stress on a lot of company systems that they wouldn't have normally. And it doesn't appear that it's going to change dramatically. I mean, employees will start going back to work in, in some ways, but remote work seems to be the wave of the future. So what impact does that have on, on IT and on capacity? I, I think that you're going to see a, a kind of a re-architecting of the core you know, workplace technology footprint. You've seen a lot of emphasis right now in these early days around collaboration suites and the ability to share securely, share documents. I, I think going forward, the, the opportunity here is that the CIO can really look at what the, the core needs are for both productivity, which has been the short-term focus, as well as what are the enhanced capabilities that we can give um, to the organization. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with ways of working. 
you've seen a lot of discussion in the market around is agile working methods. Is that the, the key going forward and that we are able to collaborate on smaller pieces of work? And, and what is the technology that's needed to do that? And so this is, this is, I think, a great opportunity for the CIO to step back and saying, who should be doing the work? How should it be done? What are the ways of working that we're going to apply to it? What can be augmented? What can be automated? And ultimately, what is the kind of the tool chain that needs to support that? Um, and it, and it extends across the entire spectrum of work. And so I think the CIO's job is to help the, the organization reimagine what work is. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned security. Um, I know one of the very first things uh, at Sherm, we had a cybersecurity crash training course. Uh, is that an aberration or do you think CIOs are, are focused on making sure all the employees are up to date on, on fraudulent activity given the wave that seems to be happening? Yes, there, there's a tremendous amount of focus on awareness right now. I think that's, that is one of the, you know, the, the critical aspects of making your lines of defense managing this is to ensure that your employees and your partners understand um, that this environment has a, an increased number of threat actors in it. We've seen since February a, a massive scaling of cyber criminal infrastructure around the world. Uh, especially around spear phishing attacks, CEO or CFO spoofing, again, spoofing. Those type of things, the, the, the first thing to, to make sure your employees know is that this exists and there is going to be a greater amount of these attacks, again, especially around um, phishing attacks. And then I think secondly, from the technology side is you need to be able to put in a much more robust set of analytics and monitoring tools, uh, especially as it relates to platforms like you know, Office 365 or web-enabled technologies like PDFs and Java's, things like that, where there's known exposures. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, focus on security right now. And again, I think we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg on, on what the kind of the security and risk elements of this event is going to be. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of collaboration platforms have been in the spotlight. I don't think anyone had heard the term Zoom bombing before all of this happened. How do you think the, the collaboration programs have held up and uh, do you see changes in how they're being used in the future? Yeah, I, I think the urgency again to rush to get people stood up and productive and interacting and collaborating. That's the first natural re reaction for a lot of organizations, especially small and medium business. I think the larger enterprises have had more time and they have more resources to, to focus on really what that threat landscape looks like throughout collaboration and productivity suites. It, it, as well as the providers themselves, the, the publishers and software companies out there are actually very vigilant about this. If you look at what Zoom's response has been or what Microsoft's response has been or the other, you know, other platform companies out there, they're trying very hard to get in front of this and make sure that everyone has up-to-date release notes on what's going on, what upgrade paths there needs to be out there what they should or shouldn't be doing. And, and CIOs, CISOs, and compliance officers, I think, are working close, more closely together than they ever have on updating corporate policies around these types of applications. 
One other area that HR has wrestled with has been the inequities in broadband access, uh, having some employees with great access and some who their, their dial-up doesn't even function. Uh, where is, what's IT's role in, in helping employees deal with the, the challenges there? Yeah, I think you've, you've seen a bright light shown on municipal and residential broadband access. And to your point, there's a, there's a huge chasm around this. IT, I think it has a, a couple of levers they can pull. I think one pretty common practice is that IT is looking to provision for their employees higher speed routers, signal boosters, things for their home that will help you know a mesh network work more effectively. Because it's not usually, it's typically not just their single employee. The employee may have a spouse or a partner who's also working from home. They may have children that they're educating at the same time. So there's a there's a lot of pressure just on a, a single residential bandwidth and when you magnify that over a municipality and the ISPs are getting crushed. So IT is trying to help, I think, provide that. Another thing is that IT is working with procurement uh, in, in many cases to review the policies around can an employee, can we allow an employee to go out and and purchase something on their own card or upgrade an account um, to get better throughput, which our current procurement policies wouldn't allow us to do. So these these are just a few of the steps. I think over time, though, again, municipalities are seeing this as a massive need to upgrade the infrastructure. I think that's a national, and in many cases, a global discussion. Well, this has been great, Steve. I really appreciate your insights here. And I think our listeners are going to feel like they have a much better sense of, of the IT infrastructure changes that we've gone through, which have been pretty significant. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of All Things Work. A huge thank you to Steve Bates for joining me and talking about the role of IT during the pandemic. And before we get out of here, I just want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Also, be sure to check out Sherm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can find all of our episodes and more podcasts on our website at sherm.org slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on All Things Work.